This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on? What up, what up? Not much, not much. I'm beat. Yeah, tomorrow's the big day. I'm friggin' tired. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, been getting ready to move into the trailer. The remodel is basically done. There's a handful of, like, piddling things left to do. But it's basically done, and I'm, I'm moving in tomorrow. I already got a spot. Been talking with um, the park. Already got my paperwork filled out. The spot's mine. They can't give it to anyone else. Nice. So, yeah. Clayton is moving out for the first time in his life. Yep. Big changes. Yep. But I'm flipping tired. Yeah. I've been working nonstop the last two days. Moving's not easy, man. Nope, nope, nope. But it is what it is. It happens. Yep. So, okay, Last week, we talked about uh, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yep. Um, today, we're talking about the rest of the beatitudes minus mm-hmm. the last one, right? Or are we talking about the last one, too? No, we're not going to talk about the last one. Just just leading up to the second to last one. Okay. So, we're going to talk about all of them except for the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to walk us through some of that? Yeah, I just, as I was reflecting on this text this week, all of these are calls to things that we normally wouldn't do. Right. They're against our natural disposition, our our natural actions, that they're not these. That's a part of the reason why we talk about it as like an ethical sermon. Right, because if ethics came natural to humans, we wouldn't need to talk about it, right? Oh, interesting. Um, I still think you would, because even if it came natural, it doesn't mean we don't go against our nature. Right, right. So um, it's an ethical sermon because it tells you how to act. Right, right, right. Uh, Not necessarily because we do it or don't do it. It's just, it's, it's the way that as Christians, Jesus is telling us, instructing us to act. But... Because they're so countercultural, or they're so um, unnatural to how we would normally respond, I just really thought that Mahatma Gandhi was a great, like, person to tell the story alongside, because you know, he has the iconic statement, and he doesn't actually say it verbatim the way that it's recorded, but be the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah. Um, You've seen that on posters everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I look around at the world that we have, and it's not a world I want to live in. No. It's not a world I want my kids to grow up in. No. But if we constantly point the finger at other people, what good are we really doing? You're not doing good. Gandhi's original statement was that if a man changes his actions to the world, the world will change their response to the man. Right. And so he he does that in 1913 in, in the middle of South African unrest 
before he even goes back to India, right? He's famous for his time in India and helping them gain independence from Britain. But like that statement, the iconic statement comes when he's in South Africa helping them with issues of oppression and civil rights. And so in that context, I just really, if you don't know, I'm kind of a history buff. I love history and biography. Um, And so I just really thought that was a um, really fitting way to join the story of Mahatma Gandhi with the Beatitudes because these are statements on peace and nonviolence. Yeah. One of the things that made Gandhi famous. Yeah. Um, It's interesting in here, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are so-and-so, for their reward is so-and-so, except... When you think it's okay to beat the crap out of somebody. Yeah. Except when you come up with some philosophical dilemma that you think the answer is violence. Yeah. Actually, all through here, it's calls to peace. Yeah. Passivity. So let's just walk through these a little bit. We talked blessed are the poor in spirit last week. But the second one is blessed are those who mourn. Um. What's the opposite of mourning? The obvious answer would be to not mourn and to hold all That's the easy emotions one, but, in. But what's the disposition of a person who mourns versus one who does? Someone who mourns um, takes on the, I don't want to say depressive state, but it, it's it's sad. It's, it's, it's lowered, right? Um, but the person who doesn't mourn... Um, typically angry, right? Um, because they're holding all these emotions in, right? And, and they have no other way to express them. And so it comes out more aggressive. Yeah, I think the words you're looking for is the one who mourns is humble. And the one who doesn't mourn is proud. That's fair. I'm, I'm fine with wording it that way. Yeah, and, and so once again, what's the natural disposition of a human? To, to be, be pride, to, to yeah. be powerful, to... To want more. Yeah. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so a lot of people look at these as something that's happening internal to the person. I don't think that's totally fair. Mm. I, I don't I don't like when we over spiritualize these things. Yeah. Jesus was talking to a specific group of people that were dealing with very real issues. Yeah. I think these are maybe emotional postures, like inner postures, but they affect external relationships. Mm-hmm. Mourning is a sign that you cared for another individual. Yeah. And in the tragedy of whatever's happened in the severing of this relationship, God will comfort you. Right, the all of it happens within a framework that yes, it's an internal posture, but that internal posture affects external realities. Yeah, and so it continues with, "Blessed are the meek." What's the meek, or what is meek? So this is this one is hard for me to define because I think it it encompasses several different things. Okay. Um, but meek 
is basically, well, honestly, kind of the opposite of proud. Um, very reserved, chill. Um, I think it encompasses, um, whenever I, I hear the word meek, I do think peaceful. I think chill. I think calm. Um, it's not a word that I think is easy to um, define. Well, let but. me say the kind of age old adage is meekness is not weakness. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's quiet, gentle, submissive, patient. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a person in a posture of care. It's a person that has a disposition of care for others. Um, oh, keep going. So I think in that, it's really interesting that Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Why does Jesus... Why would Jesus want a meek person to inherit the earth? Because the earth is inhabited by people that Jesus loves and wants them cared for. Right. So walk through a little bit how you think um, meekness equals to um, care. Well, when you're caring for someone, majority of the time, you're gentle, you're patient, you're passive. Uh, at times, you need to be submissive. Yeah. Um, all of those uh, would potentially be qualities that we would find in counselors. Right. That they're care. They're care qualities. I mean, that's what they are. Okay. I was just kind of curious how you connected all that. Um, that was just a way that I've never heard meekness described before. Well, I think people want to use meekness as synonymous with humility. And I just don't know that that's, I don't think that's, that's what's fair. happening there. I don't think that's a good way no, of thinking think about true. it. Yeah. I do like it. I've just never heard it explained like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Well, Anyways. a lot of people don't want to talk about it. I mean, meek, the word only shows up like a single digit amount of times in the New Testament. Right. It's not a, it's not a common word. Right. But then Jesus continues, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, mm. for they will be filled. It's interesting. Righteousness is an interesting word in both English and in Greek. I feel like it's more interesting in Greek. Um, well, because maybe only because we don't use it much in English. Right. We might say something like righteous indignation mm. or um, self-righteous nature. Yeah. yeah. But even that, that's more of a Christian term. It is still. Um, it doesn't always have to be, but it can be. Um, yeah. Or maybe we should say more of a religious term. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, so really righteous, the way that our language plays out now, it's really only used in a, a Christian context or a religious context, which makes the Greek meaning more interesting. But I think this is missed in a lot of New Testament studies. It's picked up in Hebrew studies, but 
Righteousness in Hebrew is, so number one, justice and righteousness are the same word in Hebrew. Mm. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, because to to pursue justice is to be in right standing with another individual. Yeah. So they're the same word in, same word, related words. There are a few different words for them, but um, in Hebrew, I don't think that goes away when we come over to Greek. Most of the time, we see righteousness used as being in right standing with God. Right. But that's not exclusively the way we see it used. Right. Righteousness is just being in right standing as an individual. And truth be told, if we really believe that the the love of God should be experienced through the people of God, then righteousness is not only a vertical quality, but it's a horizontal quality. Yeah. It's a it's a quality that we become a medium, a conduit of for those that we come into relationship with. Yeah. And so Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, let me ask you a question. What happens if you're hungry for too long? You die. What happens if you're thirsty for too long? You die. You die. So based on that, what do we what do we make up that Jesus is trying to communicate here when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? That without it you die. Without righteousness you find eternal death. Right. Or, or maybe remember, don't spiritualize it. Jesus is talking to specific people. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. I think maybe another way to think about it is someone that pursues it as if they'll die without it. Oh, okay. I can get there. So, someone who hungers and thirsts. Right when you hunger and thirst, most of the time you go get food and water. Yeah. Right? I mean, so someone who hungers and thirsts goes and obtains the thing that they need. Yeah. So someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness goes and obtains righteousness. It's not it's not a um it's not intellectual assent or intellectual practice that I'm trying to get with God. Yeah. It's actually something that requires action for me and I go and I obtain Righteousness. I obtain right standing with those that I'm in relationship with. Now, are there relationships that are toxic? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Are there relationships that you should not be involved in? 100%. Yes. Like, do not hear me saying that. There are things that are related to relationship and context that we need to remove ourselves from for a myriad of different reasons. It's not what I'm talking about here. But for those that you are in relationship with, you should be someone who wants righteousness within those relationships. Yeah. Y'all should be in right standing with one another. And I think it's interesting. Jesus says, they will be filled. At first, I thought that was a weird reward, right? Remember, each one of these is a progression. It's a, it's a, a blessing, on a quality of a person yeah. and then followed up by reward for the person possessing that quality. So well, I thought being filled was kind of a weird one until I really stopped and thought about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. It kind of makes sense because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're lacking something. 
Right. And by being filled, filled, you were granted that thing. Oh, so you're taking it. You're taking filled as being a modifier for the food and, and thirst metaphor. Yeah, that's how I've always read it. But I don't know. Interesting. So that's not how I was reading it. I'm not saying you're wrong at all. Yeah. Um, but I think in most of the relationships that I'm in, that I think I have right standing with, they've required sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. They've required me to give of myself. And in giving of myself, the relationship gives back has filled me. Yeah. So that's how I was reading. I was reading filled as a modifier for the right standing, yeah. not necessarily the hunger and thirst. I think, I, but I, I think they're saying the same thing, though, more or less. Well, yeah, yeah. So I do think, well, I think they're saying similar things, but also don't think either one is wrong. Right. I definitely so, agree. Yeah. But either way here, the the purpose and the call is that being in right standing with someone is a blessing. Yeah. And being in right standing with someone yields a relationship that's life giving. Yeah. It's fulfilling that that gives back to us on both sides. It's mutual, right? Yeah. That's that that thing that you've always heard, you know, the, um, a relationship, whether it's romantic or not is a hundred percent and a hundred percent, right? You give everything to this relationship and they give it yeah. to, and yeah. Know. Anybody that says relationships are 50% and 50%, they have anymore. no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, No, it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there are relationships where like maybe friendships where they're a hundred percent, a hundred percent whenever you're in the room with one another. Right. Yeah. They're not, you can't give a hundred percent of everyone to, or a hundred percent of yourself to everyone all, all the, time. the time. Yeah. But you do have moments of a hundred percent giving. Yeah. And so a hundred percent giving requires sacrifice. Right. And so, uh, the relationship itself can be filling for th- the sacrifice. I think, um, it's a great example just because our listeners know us, right? Um, but I feel like you and I have that kind of relationship. We can't yeah. always give 100% to each other um, all the time, yeah. right? Because we have uh, other relationships and other people, right? But um, when you and I are in the same room together and our time is meant to be spending with each other, we dedicate ourselves to spending time together and growing and yeah it's not it's not a relationship where we're on our phone or no we're uh ignoring the other one we're investing we're in drinking each other. beer and talking and hanging out and maybe it's shop talk maybe it's not you yeah. know um and that i think is a good example of a relationship yeah yeah i think so yeah all right so moving right along jesus's next statement blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Now this is interesting because this is one that it's pretty easy to spiritualize. Yeah. Right? Because he tells us, Jesus tells us later in the sermon, when he tells us how to pray, that forgive us our debts as we forget those who have wronged us or debted right. us, uh, or we are forgive our debtors. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is, this is one that you can spiritualize, but also in the culture, right? Jesus tells a parable of a man and he's indebted to someone. Yeah. 
and his debt's forgiven. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to someone that's indebted to him and he has him killed for just a minuscule amount of money versus what he was owed the other person. Yeah. Mercy is a quality that everybody needs. And one thing that I think is worth pointing out is, you know, the story that I was telling this past week was I'm not, I'm not happy with the world we live in. Yeah. The world we live in could use mercy. Lots of it. Yeah. It could use a lot of mercy Uh, from both sides of the political party, from both sides of the theological alignments. Um, we we could do and we could gain a lot if we would be merciful to one another. I think yeah. it's so interesting, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss some people off here, and I know it, um, but that seems to be what we do at Wallace Church because we challenge people. And if you're if you're easily offended, or if you know, um, we step on your toes sometimes. If we're stepping on your toes, that might mean that you need to think about something. Yeah. If if your if your feelings are hurt, don't brush it off. Work through it. And if you still disagree, that's fine. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting. I never get on Facebook. I hate Facebook. I loathe Facebook. Awful. I only have it because of Wells. And if Facebook ever if I the minute that I feel like Facebook is dying, I'm out. I'll be out. But I got on Facebook on Wednesday. I was the biggest mistake I've made in 2021 thus far. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, Wednesday was inauguration day. Yep. And I was shocked at how many people... The Wednesday before we were recording this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was shocked at how many people... You can go to their feed or their wall and it'll be stuff about Jesus or their church or whatever. And then on inauguration day, it's them crapping all over Joe Biden, Democrats, just everybody they can come up to that's affiliated with them. Just absolutely no mercy. Rejecting Paul's command in Romans to pray for our authority, our leaders, because they've been set up by God. No mercy on that side of it. But, and and here's the thing, and your political opinions aside, um, did you ever read or listen to Joe's speech? His inauguration speech? Yeah. No. He I, made, I followed some of the things that he did, the executive orders he signed in the yeah. first two days of his presidency, but not... This isn't a common narrative to hear lots of times, but it means something different in 2021 because for the last four years, we have been in the most most polarizing state our politics has ever been in. Um, And something that Joe talked about is we don't need to be divided by red and blue. Yeah. We need to find some sort of middle ground. We need to let democracy do its thing and find a happy middle ground instead of fighting for blood. Yeah, that sounds to me like a statement of mercy. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe we need to, like, not judge the president too harshly. 
Yeah. Right. I, like, and I, I'm a, you know, we, we get political on these podcasts quite a bit, not because we want to be political, but no. because like we said, since we've launched Wellhouse, it, we've been in a polarizing political landscape. And so I, I only say that because it's a relevant point of contact. Yeah. I, I dare say that some of our listeners probably were sharers of those posts that lacked mercy. Um, I think we have, at this point, we have hundreds and hundreds of listeners. Yep. Like, it's, it's just statistically, it probably happened. Especially. There's about a 50% chance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just think that if we want the world to change, we need to live. We need to live as if we're being the change. Absolutely. And and that begins with mercy. Yeah. Begins with being merciful. But but what does mercy encompass? Love. Yeah. And grace. Right? In order to be merciful, you have to love someone else. Yeah, for sure. You have sure. to have grace for their faults. Yeah. And not exploit their faults, right? Well, <laughs> and it, it takes a pure heart. Which is where we're going next. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, not corruptness. No. Not vile. Not violent. Pure. Sweet. And wholesome. Yeah, wholesome. Yeah. Um, whole. Yeah, not broken. Right. And and I love the the part there. Heart in the in Greek is is hard. Um it means like a thousand different things. <laughs> well it can and and we translate it as heart all the time, but a lot of these words just they kinda mean like gut or innards or the thing that's at your core. Yeah. And so it's like you're pure in who you are. Fundamentally, you are a pure person. You are yeah. a good person. You're whole. Yeah. You've experienced healing and wholeness and restoration. And that's why he can promise that they will see God. Yeah. See, look, there are moments where Jesus spiritualizes things, but not all of them need to be read as spiritualized statements. Some of them, Jesus is just telling you not to be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that. Yeah, no, I agree. Because then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. I just noticed something there that I have never seen before. What's that? Blessed are the peacemakers. Or they will be called the children of God. Mm. What is God? Peace. Mm, interesting. And if we are the children of God, therefore we reflect God's We're peace. children of peace, yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, I also think it's interesting that the only one here, so children of God or sons of God are statements of a soteriological status. Yeah. There's statements of your place in salvation. Yeah. So lots of times in the Old Testament, we're called sons of God, or 
children of God. Um, and it's God's chosen people, the ones whom experience relationship with him. Yeah. The only one that's explicitly stated is one about peace. Yeah. Um, and I feel pretty confident saying this. At least in my lifetime, it seems the church and the people of God have really only cared about power. And power is not really in line with peace. They actually, in a lot of the ways that I see it play out, seem to be mutually exclusive. That if you have power, you don't have peace. Now, that's not to say that's the only way or the only expression or experience, but I think we can all agree it's very difficult to maintain power while having peace. Or while facilitating peace. Yeah, also fair. Um, I think that it is really hard um, to hold power and also hold peace and facilitate peace. But um, I think that's exactly what this world needs. I think we would be a lot better off if uh, we were peacemakers. Yeah. Um, And if our political leaders cared more about peace rather than and this is political leaders across the world right this isn't just talking about america because what ends up happening is when somebody gets a taste of power they will do anything to hold that power and here here's the thing i don't think that this is happenstance that jesus does this but i think it's because of that statement that you just said that Jesus' final statement is blessed are those who are persecuted. Yeah. Because those who have sought for power become oppressors to maintain power. They persecute in order to maintain power. And Jesus says, don't be a part of that. Don't, Don't pursue the power. Don't pursue being on top. Because once you get to top, you become oppressors. Yeah. All right, we often see that in the biblical narrative. Yeah. That the Israelites were oppressed... And then they gained power and became oppressors. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, I want to be very clear on this. Once again, I'm going to upset some people, and I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You being asked to wear a mask in church is not persecution. Like, shut that narrative up. There are real Christians across the world that are being murdered for their faith. You being asked to wear a mask to protect someone else is not persecution. Let's man up a little bit. Let's grow up. No, what that is is responsibility. Yeah. You are being given a responsibility. You are not being persecuted. Yeah. You are being asked to protect someone else. Protect the vulnerable. You're being asked to be meek. You're being asked to pursue righteousness. You're, you're being, being asked, asked to be merciful. To be a peacemaker. Yeah, you're you're being asked to be a representative of Jesus. And that, I think we just solved the mask problem. <laughs> I think we solved it a long time ago. The question is, people listen. But I think it's interesting that we got we got a twofold promise that those who are poor in spirit, those who place their trust in God, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes into predominantly ethical 
comments about someone's external relationships. Yeah. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who haven't sought power. Blessed are those who experience persecution because of their position, their posture as a Christian, which is one that we don't pursue power, right? We're peacemakers for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your life as a Christian may yield you some persecution. Wearing a mask ain't it, but we're seeing Christians all around the world experience persecution. But here's the deal. I don't, I'm not one of those people that thinks that we should like pray to be persecuted or that like the Christian life is all about suffering. I think it's part of it, but also think God blesses. And, but I will say this, that for Jesus, the way and manner in which you live out your Christian faith directly affects whether or not you will be a recipient of the kingdom of heaven.